Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. There's no secret formula for customer service, but there is an all new service hub from HubSpot and it's bringing service and support together in one platform so you can deliver the best experiences possible. You can free up your customer support reps time with an AI powered help desk so you can easily support and grow your customer base. The secrets out service hub is a game changer. Visit HubSpot.com service to learn more. How's the suburbs? It's good. Actually, I, I've said good now twice, and it's because my brother-in-law taught me this thing that I've been doing in my head. You know who Jocko Willink is? The guy who's like on Joe Rogan's podcast. Yeah, 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 bunch. the Navy SEAL. Yeah, and I actually don't listen to him or whatever. My brother-in-law is like obsessed with him, and he um, buys his book and like listens to his podcast or whatever, and I just like overheard it. And this guy, he said, this guy's shtick is that he's – He's like hardcore about everything and his things like discipline equals freedom. He's, he's like a and, David Goggins guy. Yeah. He's just like, you know, torture yourself and that's what makes you strong and that's what sets you free and that's how you get what you want to do. Like get, get what, get what you want. And so, you know, anytime something goes wrong, like it'll be like, you know, your business failed and he'll just be like, good, start a new one. Or like, you know, right, faster, right, right. faster to start the winner or he'll be like, you know. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> it's always like, I'm going to make this into something good. Flat tire good time to walk and it's just like <laughs> that's this like voice in my head now it's cheesy as hell but it's actually quite effective to just immediately correct any thought to the like to the positive to the empowering and it's like got fired good i'm free okay <laughs> i get it I'm, I'm down with that have you read david goggins book no, I, I actually don't like these guys because I hate No, I read David Goggins. Goggins is cool. I mean, he's like cringe sometimes, but he's cool. Grew up in a, an abusive household and overcame a lot. And, you right. know, he's, he's definitely a good dude and, and an inspiration. Uh, he overdoes it, obviously. Right. But these guys are good. They're, they're I, I know. I, I, I've already done so much sort of motivation porn that now I need something else. It's like, I don't want to hear that you were like, you know, an orphan who had, you know, no food and you crawled your way to success. It's like, I want somebody who was doing all right and now they're doing great. Or like, you know, so they're not even doing great. They're doing pretty good. Well, it's like, let, let me tell you a good book. motivation. Let me tell you a book that I think that is doing that for me. But how is it actually? What, living in the suburbs? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. It's amazing. I swim every day. That's the, like, that alone, that one thing, I say that and like no one gives a shit because it doesn't sound that interesting or new or novel. But for me, I, w I went from not going in the pool and swimming every day to doing it. And it's like a combination of meditation, a massage and a workout. And um, it's amazing. And a shower. It's great. It's everything I want. Great. Because maybe I'll do it. I'll join you. Um, okay. You want, you want to hear? Wait, are you back in SF? I'm in my house in San Francisco. It looks messy because I've, I've moved everything. So, Okay, you should come over then. Come over for the next podcast. We'll hang out here. We'll swim, and then we'll do the podcast live. Okay, I'm down. I'm in um, San Francisco now, but I've packed everything up. I leave August 1st. I'm going to go to, uh, what's the place? Park City uh, for a week because, like I said, I wanted to hang out in Utah. And then I'm going to go to St. Louis for two weeks, and then I'm going to go to New York. I sound bougie saying this. I'm going to stay in the Hamptons for a couple weeks and then I'm going to rent a place in Brooklyn for a little while. And then maybe I'll go to Asheville, North Carolina. Okay. And then maybe back here. I don't know. All right. I like it. Let's talk about this book real quick that I'm, I started reading. So, okay. And it re relates to what you're talking about a little bit. So I'm, I love history. I'm a history buff. And I started reading uh, leadership in turbulent times. It's by this wonderful woman named, uh, Doris something. She wrote the book by a Abraham Lincoln. What's it called? The uh, Oh yeah, it's like Alliance of Enemies or some shit like that. Something like that. And it's uh, it's great. It's I haven't read that one, but everyone talks about that one being great. Anyway, it's good because when I get, all right, I'm like you where I'm like, oh, I don't want to hear about all this motivational stuff, but this stuff actually is motivational. Imagine being Abraham Lincoln and like born in, without electricity and like, I, now I'm going to go and I'm going to like uh, free the slaves or right. uh, Lewis and Clark and like I'm gonna like go yeah, you tweeted this. about this today I did because when you think about it I'm like ugh, I can't decide between living in the suburbs or not and I'm like <laughs> fucking Lewis and Clark like yeah, I'm like DoorDash years. isn't loading god DoorDash and then you're right. like, or like Lewis and Clark walked across like the fucking yeah. ocean and mapped the whole thing and like had no electricity <laughs> it's like should I raise funding or not or how much should I pay myself or like all this bullshit it's like dude these guys, like, 
were were the first white Americans, and they like discovered this whole area for three years. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is easy. This is an easy conversation. I'm not going to discuss what time I should record the podcast. <laughs> okay, but this book, what's the book about? Is it about it's Abraham called, Lincoln, or is it about yeah, something? Yeah, so it's called Leadership in Turbulent Times. This woman is a historian. She's 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 a wonderful writer, and it looks at um, FDR, who had polio and had to lead America through World War II, or the beginnings of World War II. Abraham Lincoln, who came from nothing and then emancipated the slaves. Teddy Roosevelt, whose mother and wife died in the same house on the same day, and his child was born. So in one day, in the same home, his wife died, his mother died, and his daughter was born. Oh my God. Same day. Uh, and so he kind of led the Spanish-American War, I believe it was. And then who else is it about? Lyndon B. Johnson, who had to take over after JFK was assassinated. And so it talks about what the modern person can learn from leadership in turbulent times. All right. I like it. And you're done with it or you're in the middle? I'm in the middle of it, but I just find this fascinating. That I think Where that does it rank, you know, one to ten? Because like a book can be interesting, but then there's like the life-changing books that you're like, no, you have to read that. And then this one is like, it sounds like this one is like, oh, it's a cool read. It's not a... It's a cool read it. so far, but I would say, I wouldn't say it's the book, but what is life-changing is learning about like men like Abraham Lincoln and Teddy Roosevelt. Right. These guys were like true, like I'm very patriotic and I love America and I love reading about these people who, who helped shape America because what makes America special to me is this optimistic mentality and this, we can bond, we can get together and we can overcome this problem. And uh, these guys just do that to the max. Love it. Okay. I don't think I'm going to read it, but I like that I'll you like it. I'll finish it and tell you. Yeah. I like that you like it. And I'm not, I'm not in that world yet. By the way, you bought the happy body when I mentioned it last time. Have you continued doing that workout yeah. or diet as well? Yeah. Uh, it's not a diet necessarily. I just, I, I mean, I already did there it. Is, I, there is a like strict food plan. But that's what I'm saying. It's not that strict. Like it just says you just eat under a certain calories and eat healthy. Yeah, sure. Then I, I do that. I mean, I've, I lose weight. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm 15% body fat probably. I'm, I'm, are you, are you, cause you know, they have that table that's like for this height, you should be this much, this weight, this much body fat. This I'm much five muscle. pounds over. Five pounds over. Okay. Gotcha. Nice. Uh, I started I weigh 198 it. or no, I'm, I'm, uh, I weigh 198. I'm supposed to weigh 190. I started doing it like five days ago and uh, I like it. And it's so weird. It's not like a normal exercise program. It's like, like literally my wife laughed at me. She's like, Oh, she's like, I was doing it and she really wanted me to just like hold the baby and like do my shift. And then she was like mocking me, talking to the baby. She's like, oh, sorry, daddy's doing a really strenuous workout. Look at him. Cause it's like, it looks like you're doing absolutely nothing. You're lifting it hurt pretty your much back? zero weight. No, I mean, it's like, you literally start with like 10 pound weights. And yeah, but my back can't like, can you do the, can the you trunk like lift? put your, can you put your hands all the way above and squat down? No, not the squat part. Well, th but that's limited by like hamstrings and hips more than my, like my back is fine. It's my hips and hamstrings that suck. Anyways, this is not a fitness podcast. It's like, hey, you want to hear about fitness from Sean who doesn't, is not fit? This is the podcast for you. Um, but it's a cool book and you should check it out. And it's very unorthodox. That's what I kind of like about it. I hate doing anything that seems mainstream. So this works for me. It gets me excited. I love to do it. it. I've been doing it and it, may it makes my back feel better. Okay, so we got to decide something. First, on in the last podcast at the very end we were like okay interesting question if you had to make a million bucks in the next two months and you could only start with i think like 10 grand of like you only had 10 grand of budget how would you do it and we had said we're going to come back on monday with a bunch of good we're gonna, we thought about it on the spot and it wasn't great and we said all right we'll come back monday and we'll we'll, we'll think and so it was July 4th this weekend. So I don't know. Did you, did you think about, are we ready to talk about it or are we going to punt it one, one episode and think about it? I'm not ready to talk about it, but yeah, I thought about it a lot. I, just, I thought about it as well. And I, um, oh, is our next episode the hundredth, hundredth episode? Okay. That would be a good special one. The thing is, is it's going to be so much work, but I think I'm down. Oh, to actually go pull it off. Yeah. I think I could do it though. Yeah. I think you could and should do it. Okay. So we're going to punt it one, one episode let's say, so that we can come to the table with good answers. Because everything we talk about on here is off the cuff. Basically, during the week, we have this little Google spreadsheet that we, you know, if I'm out and about and I see something or I'm talking to somebody or I'm meeting somebody and they say something interesting, I'll just toss it on that sheet. But don't do a ton of research and I don't know what you're going to talk about. You don't know what I'm going to talk about when we show up. So it's very off the cuff. 
But for this one, I want to have thought about it and I want to have researched so that I can have a good, good when I, when I normally I laugh at people when they say like, Oh, I don't want to tell you my idea. And I, I'm like, dude, shut up. Your idea is like, I've already thought of it or someone has thought of it. Like that's not a big deal. But in this case, it, it actually is true. So when we talk about it, we, uh, we'll have, we'll kind of have to be subliminal a little. Oh, I'm, I'm just going to say what I'm going to do and I'm going to do it. If, and if somebody could beat me to it, you know, good on you. But uh, most people are just going to enjoy the journey. All right. I have a bunch of other topics that are interesting that we can talk about. I want to tell you about some research that I've done that shocked me. Okay. So let me pull it up because I didn't list it all in here. Okay. So car racks, you know, car racks. No. What is that? Okay. So when you buy a car, most of the time uh, you have to do two things. If you want to carry luggage on top of your car. First, you have to install the rack. Okay, okay, gotcha. Then you have to install the thing that you want to carry stuff. So you could want a basket and you could carry stuff in the basket. You could install luggage. You could install bike rack. You could in so there's two components to this. Now, right. these racks cost $500 to $1,000 for a rack and then another $500 to $3,000 for the luggage. And so I started researching this and I thought it was crazy. And I found this crazy article that Ber uh, Berkeley, uh, it's called Berkeley Lab. I guess it's funded by um, Berkeley University. So listen to this. In 2015, roof racks were responsible for about 1% of lightweight vehicle fuel consumption nationwide. That comes out to be about 100 million gallons of gasoline. So what happens when you put just the rack, not the cargo, just the, the small rack, is your gas efficiency, your fuel efficiency goes down 5 to 25%. So if right. you have a car that gets 25 miles a gallon, it goes down, what, 2.5 2 miles a gallon. And a lot of times people leave the racks on when they drive around. Right. And I thought, that was, I thought that was crazy. So let me tell you one more stat, which is the study calculated that the additional fuel consumption caused by roof racks is about six times larger than the anticipated fuel savings from, a fuel, from fuel cell vehicles and 40% of the anticipated fuel savings from electric battery vehicles in 2040. That's crazy to me. And so when I read that, I was like, I want to buy the most fuel efficient car rack there is. And, it, and I, there weren't a lot of things out there. And let me tell you about the, the company that I bought a car rack from. They're publicly traded. They mostly only sell car racks. And they do about... Uh, What's their name? It's called Thule. T-H-U-L-E. It's a publicly right. traded company in what's S -E Swiss, Swiss, Switzerland. They do about... $700 million in revenue with about $150 million in profit. Pretty big business and only on car racks. Is that crazy? That's really crazy. So the market cap on here says 25 billion. Now is, is that's, this in US dollars? That's, a, that's French franc or that's Swiss franc divided by 10 about, I think it's 0.11. Okay. So, so 2.5 billion dollar market cap company for car roof racks car roof racks, mostly car roof racks. Wow. And the study that I read, they go, yeah, Americans are buying, roof racks like crazy like it's growing at a really high yeah, rate i believe it and uh i didn't believe that and then i started like looking around and i'm like oh my god every freaking car has one so when i go on amazon the racks look like they're like 70 to 200 bucks so which ones are you talking about well i don't know what you're looking at but because it's quite confusing because when you buy a rack you have to buy the part that just attaches to the car and then you got to buy the rack that attaches to the fittings and then you got to buy the cargo part that goes to the rack right it's okay. incredibly expensive I mean, and I'm so, looking at right now. So you just bought these? I bought it used on Craigslist. I got them used, everything for $600. And what about uh, when you buy it used? Okay, you bought it on Craigslist. If you were going to go to a marketplace to buy this used, which marketplace would you go to? I went to Craigslist. But if, you weren't, if it wasn't Craigslist, where would you go? Is there Facebook like a marketplace? Okay, so you go to the kind of broad one. So there's no like, is there like a vertical marketplace for basically outdoorsy equipment like you know, campers and surfboards and, you know, tents. Well, campers, yeah, campers have their own thing. A lot I, of what we talk about is unbundling these big marketplaces into vertically focused marketplaces. And so I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's already one for this, but I haven't heard of it because I'm not an outdoorsy type. Maybe. So. I didn't, I definitely didn't see it, but it wasn't a product that I wanted to ship. I wanted to go um, pick it up. I drove like half an hour away and I picked it up because they're huge. I mean, this thing, it, like, it's right. like as big as a car roof. Right, right, right. So you wanted it to be local. Okay, gotcha. But isn't that amazing that, A, I can't believe how I was no, shocked at how inefficient. This is the same thing. It's the hidden in plain sight. I see these on cars all the time. I never even once thought to myself, because I'm not buying it, right? Like, 
who makes these? How much do they cost? How much is that company worth, right? But like, boom, billion dollar company hidden in plain sight, freaking roof racks of cars. And, you know, I'm curious how many, you know, D2C competitors they have already. There was a few Chinese knockoffs on uh, Amazon, but I didn't want to buy it because Thule is like, so I bought a Volvo car, like a nice new Volvo car, and they're not like luxury, but they're like quality, right? right. And Thule is like probably the Volvo of car racks where it, right. it's, it's not like the most expensive, but it's like and hot, you pay spend, for quality. People spend for quality on outdoor stuff, like whether it's like REI gear or, you know, like that's just like a common thing I see. It's not just that people spend on their hobby. It's like specifically with outdoor stuff, they'll pay more for the rugged, sturdy reliable thing and i I understand why it makes makes total sense okay i have another niche thing unless you wanted to say any more about Thule. i just thought that was crazy because a i couldn't find one that was marketing it as like the most fuel efficient rack and uh, i was amazed at how big these businesses were i thought like it was like something started in like portland that was like had 30 employees right Um, all right so i saw this tweet by this guy chris back and I don't, I've never met this guy. Um, he seems legit. His bio is uh, that he has three exits to Indeed, Zillow, and Notel. So I don't, I don't know who this guy is exactly. He's a founder slash operator. He follows me. So I think he might listen to the podcast. Um, so his he handle said, is- He tweeted something that pissed me off the other day. I know who this guy is. His, his handle is Chris J. Back, back with B-A-K-K-E. Um, so he tweeted, tweeted this thing. I thought it was really interesting. I wanted to, to shout it out. So he goes, um, he was like, you know, one of my favorite small business ideas is to pick a hobby that you spend too much money on, create a newsletter for that hobby, and then market it to other enthusiasts via Reddit, Twitter, Facebook. For example, the Ferrari market letter has 5,000 email subscribers and does 2 million in revenue with a team of two. And I was like, what? Like, that was crazy to me. I hadn't heard of this. And you're knee deep in the newsletter world. Did you know about this one specifically? I know this whole thing won't surprise you, but did you know about this one? No, but I think what he's saying is a bit oversimplification well i went to the ferrari marketletter.com it yeah i mean i guess i get it yeah he said breakdown of someone who's knowledgeable about their business they make 600 to 900 000 from five to six thousand people who will pay about 100 to 200 bucks for online or print access and then they make another million dollars a year an annual member to member classified revenue and then the remainder is from advertising so the classified revenue, that's like sort of their little marketplace for enthusiasts to, to transact. And then about a million bucks is for people who want the sort of the online and print access to the content. Um, so I thought that was, that was pretty interesting. I, I had never heard of this before and I thought that it was pretty um, significant for some you know, really niche enthusiast hobby. Yeah, and you could do this for a variety of things. I mean, hell, you could just pick Porsche or Mercedes right. that both have fanatical followings. Yeah, I, I, I buy it. it. I'm not even remotely surprised about this. Uh, if you go to the website, it says they're celebrating their 45th year. So it must be two guys that are like in their 60s or something or older, and uh, they just love Ferraris. So yeah, I, I buy it. Way uh, simpler than you think. Yeah, and I, I bet you know the content is so niche that um... – you know, you just get this like disproportionate um, engagement from people who are, you know, the, the more niche, the more passion, uh, generally speaking. So, so I think that's the, and then when it's Ferrari is your niche, well, then the money comes with it. And um, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of cars and um, vintage cars and things like that. There's a few people in this space. There's Hemming Motor News. So if you go to Hemmings.com, it's a company that's been around for, since 1954 if you told me this business made $50 million, I would not be surprised. It's a uh, classified site for vintage cars. Additionally, right. just if anyone want to watch, wants to watch a business get built in big uh, real time, you have to follow this. So one of my favorite YouTubers is a car blogger, carsandbids.com. I'm following him building this. I think this is going to be quite large. Yeah, I like he's, it. Um, he's hiring for it. It's going to be pretty big. So watch that. Cool. Your turn. What else, what else you got? Oh, okay. So I saw a chart and this is like e-commerce compared to retail. It's only like 25%. It's only 25 or 20%. Of all retail. Yeah. Yeah. And it's crazy when you think about that. Which by the way, that used to be like six or 7%, like only a handful of years ago. And I remember, and this was like, Amazon was here. Like it was, and I remember seeing that and being like, that's crazy that it's only six or 7% penetration. So now I guess you're saying it's like 20%, 25%? Ish. Yeah. 
I don't know how you measure that, but ish. I think that e-commerce, like when I think of e-commerce, when I think of like what you and our friends do, I'm like, I respect it. But for me, that that's not for me. I don't want to do that. That's boring. But then I'm like, when you see that growth, growth, you're like, that is pretty neat. So what do you think what that would look like at 50 or 60%? I mean, what do you think that's not being sold online? So a few things that are interesting to me is homes are not really being bought online. I've, I've thought about this since 2012 when I worked at an apartment company. I was like, oh, well, someone's going to rent apartments online without seeing them once the 3D mapping is a thing, it's which better, Matter, right. Matterport's doing that. Diamond rings. I bought an incredibly expensive diamond ring on BlueNile.com. So diamonds are being sold. Cars are being sold. What else is, what's not being sold now that will? I think businesses are going to be bought and sold online. Obviously today, online businesses are but, you know, brick and mortar sort of offline businesses, like, you know, my uncle bought a liquor store, you know, and I was like, how did you do it? And he's like, well, you know, in the newspaper, you see an ad. And it, there are things like LoopNet out there that you can buy and sell, you know, businesses, uh, but they're not as common and it's not as well developed as, you know, an online business marketplace would be. What else? I think more so than new shit being sold online that's not online is... Um, just more, more percentage, right? So it's like, okay, of, of the amount of groceries I, I used to order online, like online groceries was a thing, but now it's for a household like mine, we do it 50% of the time now. We used to do it 5% of the time, right? We, we only used to do it when we we're in a pinch and now we'll do it, you know, generally, unless we really need to go grab something specific from somewhere. And um, so I think it's just going to be the market share of, of each individual like item is going to be more and more bought online, right? So clothes and glasses, like these have been for sale online, but out of 20 people, maybe one was buying their glasses from Warby Parker and 19 were still going to Costco or wherever and picking out frames, lens crafters or some shit. And that number is going to go from one to five to eight to 12 to 20, you know, eventually. And so, so I think that that's, that's more where the change is going to happen. It's just what percentage of people buy X item online today, they're all like kind of single digits out of 20 and it'll be double digits out of 20 when it's over. Yeah. I'm, I'm still just kind of thinking about everything. I think that there, have you read about blue Nile? I've, I've read about blue Nile and also there's another one, the name slips my mind, but there's another diamond company like that online. Uh, but tell me about what you know about it. I don't know much besides the name. Okay. So blue Nile was founded by this ex McKinsey guy. Uh, seems like a really interesting guy. Way under the radar. Blue Nile is, it's now owned by Bain Capital. It does, it went public. It did north of $500 million in sales. This guy also helped start Moose Jaw, I believe. He also started or helped found as an advisor, Chewy.com. So a lot of interesting companies. They were acquired by Bain. They did hundreds of millions of dollars in sales. Incredibly fascinating. You can buy Diamond Ring on there up to probably a million dollars and they refund you within two weeks if you don't like it. And so I actually bought my engagement ring for Sarah on there and I timed it. So when I proposed, she still had 10 days to return it if she didn't like it. <laughs> I timed it so that she could open up the package and get her ring from there. So uh, why did you pick this versus uh, something else? Is it cheaper? Is it better? What, what, what's better it's, about it? It's interesting because when you go and buy a diamond ring, like everyone's like, oh, I got a guy, right? And like yeah. when you go to like when you've got a guy, that means that like the selection probably isn't huge and you don't actually know like what's what. You don't know what's good. You don't know if you're being sold to. And so because of the, because they're online, you have far more transparency about uh, what quality is this? Is this company blue now reputable you have a more of a guarantee you have a larger selection things like that right and what do you think about this like alt rings where you know people are like some people are anti-diamonds because they're like hey diamonds are not always ethically sourced blah 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 we should do you know alternative rings that uh you know stand for something by using alternative materials right we've seen this with alt milks we've seen it with alt beers are we going to see this with alt rings what do you think maybe the difference between those things is that like you would only buy a special diamond if it were as convenient or as cheap or as good as another one. Like people who say they care about like, is this ethically sourced? I don't actually think that that many people would let their wallets, like if something costs $5,000 more, I don't think they would actually do that. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that it's like that cool of a thing. And I think that everyone says, don't buy a big fancy diamond for your girlfriend or your fiance or whatever. And 
it's usually bullshit. You're like, oh, whatever. Whatever makes her happy, I'll do. <laughs> yeah, also they wear it every single day, uh, which gets a lot of value. So I think it's a little different than buying like a jacket or like a shirt or whatever. I was going to buy one, like a cheap, like uh, I had a budget. And then I talked to Ramit, my friend Ramit from I Will Teach You to Be Rich. And he goes, dude, this is the whole point of having money is to make your loved ones happy. Whatever they want, just get it. And so my budget ended up 6Xing. Okay, well, what was it? Tens of thousands of dollars. <laughs> yeah, tens they of thousands. Say, of do- they say it's supposed to be what three months of salary, something like three that. Three years That's- salary. Three years of salary. I, I no. heard three three months of salary. Okay, I'm gonna stick with months. Um, I'm not. I'm not trying to do three years. All right, what um, do you got? Okay, a couple other um, random things. Okay, so I saw this um, article about this idea of productivity tracking by your employer. Okay, so everybody's okay. going remote, and you know, one of the reasons people didn't want to allow work from home was this question of like, are people really going to be working? Are they just going to open up their laptop and then go watch The Simpsons? And so some companies have started installing on their like employee laptops, you know, productivity trackers, which are really yeah. kind of like spyware for, um, yeah. you, know, you know, it's your boss over your shoulder at all times. And so there's a bunch of these that are out there. They all say that they're growing like crazy. So there's one called Transparent Business, which is, they said they grew 500% so far through COVID. Uh, there's one called ProtoScore. I haven't looked into how big these businesses are or how they're doing, but they're sort of like, I never heard of them because I think it's not, like this is very anti-Silicon Valley um, where like, I think if a, tech, if a tech company tried to do this, I think there would be like mass backlash. And they basically, you know, they track your, you know, when were you online? When were you offline? When were you idle? When were you typing? When were you mouse moving? What websites did you visit? Like all these types of things. And so I'm curious, what is your opinion of this? So I want your opinion in two ways. One is as a boss, who's going to have a widely remote team, would you ever consider doing this? That's question one. Question two is, what do you think of these as like business spaces or ideas to, to build in? Okay. So I don't know how I feel. Let me tell you this. We talked about, I just pulled it up while you were talking about, we talked about Joe Lamont. You remember yeah. Joe Lamont? Right. Joe Lamont, the guy in Austin who buys companies and then outsources What was the name of his of company thing? Trilogy Software right. and Trilogy, Trilogy Capital. He's a multi-billionaire likely. He owns um, right. dozens Former of different- Billy of the Week, which is his number yeah. one. Yeah, that's his number one. That's what he's known for. And- uh, <laughs> Anyway, he uh, buys companies and he outsources a lot of the, the simple programming work to India for $15 an hour. And he developed software that tracks keystrokes and takes a picture of the person's screen every 10 minutes. Right. That's what this does as well. It does screenshots every X minutes. So what do I think of this? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I will tell you that as a boss, like that is one of my fears is that we're not like achieving, we're not getting done what we want to get done. What do you think about this? Like, do you, do you, I don't even know if you want to talk about this. Do you feel pr- more productive as remote or not? Well, like, for example, I'm recording this on my non-Amazon laptop because I, I assume that Amazon knows everything that's going on on my laptop. I just sort of assume that, you know, the, the employer can uh, access anything that I, I do on my laptop. So I, I use my personal laptop for personal stuff. I use my work one for work stuff. I would not implement this at all because I think it backfires. So first is like the context. So there's, there's this game of leverage, right? For most companies in America, the employer has all the leverage. Uh, when I talk to my cousins and aunts and they live in Texas or you know, North Carolina or wherever, they're constantly worried that they're going to lose their job, get laid off, get you know, uh, in trouble by their boss. And, and like, you know, it's like, oh, I have this many vacation days. I have to give this much notice beforehand. Uh, I have to clock in at this time. I have to clock out at this time. And to them, the sort of Silicon Valley way of working where like literally we have an unlimited vacation policy, which is controversial, but like in theory means you can do, do whatever the hell you want. I can work whatever hours I want from wherever I want. If I want to change jobs, they're like, okay, you know, we just want to retain you as talent. So yeah, sure. If you want to switch, you know, how can I help? Uh, you know, if, if I say I want to go leave and start a startup, I will have their backing because they, in tech companies, the leverage is with the employee, especially with engineers, but other employees as well. So the leverage here is way off, which is why companies here will do your laundry and, uh, you know, feed you food and have, there's this perks war because the companies want to retain talent. And it's so easy for talent to just at the snap of a finger, go work for your competitor and earn more money and have a better job title. You know, you can hop around so easily here. 
So I think in Silicon Valley, the shit won't fly. Outside. Well, hold on. Do you think that that leverage still exists remotely? Because it, with, with this environment, I think it doesn't. I think people don't want to get fired. I think we have just switched to we are well, now think, an employer company. I, I, I don't think it's binary, but I think on the spectrum, it's definitely the pendulum is swinging back the other way because now the, pendul- now the change is, oh, you're the Silicon Valley sort of like diva engineer who's not happy with their 500K a year salary. Well, guess what? Like I can hire your replacement in Canada tomorrow because you're working remotely anyways. What, what do I care? Uh, I'm just going to hire the best talent. Now my talent pool is the whole world. So that's going to take power away from the sort of diva culture of Silicon Valley. Like today, literally in Slack, I had a conversation with somebody who goes, yeah, you know, after, after this next stock grant, I'm only going to be making 700K a year. So, fu- so it's fucked. I'm out. And I was like, wait, what? Well, they, they really said that? Only here can they go, can you say, I'm only making 700K a year. God, it's so fucked. I'm out. Because wait, you know, it's all, it's all wait, relative. They really think that they're like broke then? It's not that they were broke. It's that they were making more before with their stock grants. And now the company's not giving out a big fat stock grant anymore because like the company's more mature. It doesn't did, need you to do that anymore. Did anyone say anything to that person? I did. I was like, I was like, yeah, you know, so, sorry for your, sorry for your loss. <laughs> and then I said like, you know, um, only in Silicon Valley can you say my comp will just be 700K. It's fucked. I'm out. And so, you know, he, he, it was just like a, a joke, I guess. I don't know. It was crazy. Did they realize how douchey they sounded? Yeah. I mean, he was saying it in private. He wasn't trying to like, you know, flex or anything, but he, you know, yeah, it was, I, I, I think he realizes it because it's insane. It, if, you, if you say it out loud, it sounds insane. But anyways, I guess my point is, I don't think in a situation where the talent has leverage, you can get away with stuff like this. I also don't think this is actually the best way to help people be productive. I think a better way would be, to go to some like OKR system where you say, look, you're accountable for this key result and you got to hit it. I don't care what hours you work. I don't care where, where you work from. I don't care what, if you use Google Docs or if you use Microsoft Word, I don't care about any of your how. You just have to deliver outcomes and um, you're responsible for those outcomes. And if you're consistently hitting outcomes, cool. Uh, you, you get more freedom, more trust. And if you're consistently not hitting your outcomes, you're out of here and I'm going to get somebody in who is. So I think that's how you make sure that people work when they're remote is you set the outcomes and then you measure are they hitting them consistently or not. I don't think screenshot in the screen is the way to do it. Let me ask you two questions. The first is, do you think that people in Silicon Valley are just pussies? Um, pussies, yes, but I think it's not what you mean. So when I say that, I mean, they don't have courage. Courage to take risks, to do what they believe in, to do what they want, to do what they say they believe in. I, I often find discrepancies, a lot of discrepancies. But you're talking about for like spoiled. Is kind of what you're talking about, Both. right? Okay, so tell me what you mean. You I obviously do with, think yeah, that. <laughs> well, it's like I meet these nerds who like <laughs> don't know anything, but they're like autistic and smart. And I'm like, I fucking love those people. Like one of my best friends is like this autistic kid who is like a genius. And he's like my soulmate. Like I love him because he's yeah. like, just like, he's like, well, it's just like, logically, it makes sense to do this. I'm like, fuck, you speak to me. Right. Um, and then there's other people who are like, we need to have a discussion about this. We all need to vote. Um, <laughs> you know, like if, if we don't get a diversity coach in, like we're quitting. If, uh, right. this, this is all this, it's like, dude, you got to understand that like you are, this is a J-O-B baby. You gotta right. like, you know, you have, you don't really have that many rights other than the agreement that you guys, your, you and your employer have had, like, you don't get to vote on shit. You know what I mean? And right. that kind of, fr- and that frustrates me and it makes people soft. Yeah. I definitely think that people are soft. Um, but, and myself included because I don't go through hard times. And so if you don't go through hard times, you're going to get soft over time. And the hard times are like super relative. It's like, like the guy who's like, I'm only making 700 K a year. I'm out of here. Like that's hard times to him. Or, you know, if hard times for people would be like, you know, they, they took away the kombucha in the, in the company fridge. Like this sucks. Like life got worse. Quality of life got worse. And so I do think that Silicon Valley or I'll say tech companies in general have it so good. We have it so good that it's easy to become spoiled. It's easy to lose sight of like what real work looks like, you know, uh, or how hard work can be. I shouldn't say real work looks like, I should say how hard work can be because there's people out there who literally work in a sand mine and they just shovel sand all day. And like, that's 
part that could be you if the genetic lottery worked out slightly differently if you were born so, you know, somewhere else or with one different gene you know like so so i think that i would agree with you that silicon valley has gone very soft i also think it makes it very hard to lead a company because if you like i don't know i don't know if you experience this at the hustle but like i'm guessing some of the things you mentioned are some of the things you've heard like oh we need a diversity coach or like hey we need to like this month, you know, we need to install a third bathroom that is gender neutral or whatever the thing of the day is, right? Whatever the new expectation of what the work environment should be. I need to be fully remote. I need unlimited vacation. I need, you know, career track pro pro progression, whatever it is. Um, expectations rise. For it does make it hard. And I think that the way that I'm going to solve this in the future is when I started my company, I was 23, which meant I didn't know like what I stood for or I did know, but my opinion has evolved and my opinion will continue to evolve. But now I a little bit more confidently know what I stand for, which right. is treat people fairly. Don't take a lot of bullshit. Like just get done, do what you're saying going to do. Just shut the fuck up. Like don't complain to me about meaningless stuff. Like talk to me about like how we can actually make a difference. Like it, it, what I think are important things. And anyway, I think that I will make that clear early on what we stand for. Right. And then you'll attract hopefully the people who, resonate with that and they want to work in that environment and you will deter people who do not want that environment and then they, you wouldn't be happy and they wouldn't be happy so i think that's part of it but i think you're more old school than what's allowed now so how are you going to adjust well i don't think i am i don't know if i am that. i just don't know if people are saying it like but for example well i'm gonna the way i'm gonna adjust is i just have to face the pain i'm gonna i'm doing it now i just have to deal with the repercussions of people not agreeing with me i'm like i'm sorry but tough this is just how it is so i gotta deal with the fallout but like what i stand for i guess is like um treat people fairly be respectful focus on making a lot of money and building a huge business whereas before it was like we're going to change the way x it's like no dude i just want to build a huge company and right. i don't care like how we do it as long as it's like ethical and legal i want to build a big business right. and i think like so i'm just like unabashed i'm not like uh nervous to say but that no, nobody disagrees with that so the the controversial part would be when you're like, this is a J-O-B baby and like we got and like, yeah, shit's gonna be hard and shut the fuck up. You're not gonna always agree, blah, 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 right? That's the part where like nobody, nobody disagrees with, let's be legal, let's be ethical, let's build a big business, let's make a lot of money. Nobody yeah. would shake their head no at that. It's what trade-offs are required to do that sometimes. Um, and well, like, what, what, let me clarify. When I say shut the fuck up, what I'm, I didn't actually mean that. I mean, I listen to everyone i'm like all right let's talk what do you want right. to talk about now and but there's a difference between, i can vouch for that yeah there's a difference between listening and saying i agree with you let's do it yeah listen versus it's, obey I, right and I so always like, listen i rarely obey exactly and so i'll have people i'm like look we can have a discussion i'm going to explain my opinion and i welcome you to explain your opinion it doesn't mean we're going to agree though but we can like hash it out and try to change each other's minds but at the end of the day if i'm the decision maker we're doing it my way and sometimes someone else is a decision maker and it's like i think you're fucking crazy but i i will follow your opinion. right right if you're the decision maker on that it's your call uh, you took all the inputs and i've said that i trust your judgment after you take inputs and as long as you keep taking inputs and you're operating with with clear intent i'm i'm cool even if we you know amazon has this value that i really like which is called disagree and commit and i think that that should be like in every team i work on now i'm going to be like by the way this is one of the values is that we can disagree but we can still need to be able to commit to going and doing the thing even if you disagree and that doesn't mean always disagree and never listen. No, it just means disagree and commit sometimes. Um, okay, I like that. Um, the, the other thing that I think is important there is like, I think some people in their job, they think that the company's job is to, or I say they act entitled in a way that makes me feel like they think the company's job is to make a happy workplace that all the employees are happy as the number one priority. And the thing is every person who runs a company would want that, of course, but it is not the number one priority. Sometimes it's not even the number two priority, but it's usually, you know, somewhere in the top three, depending on what the fate, what the season of the business is. And so for you, it's like, Hey, you know, the number one priority is to grow this into a really big business. Number two is to, let's say, I don't know, whatever it may be. And number three might be to get really great people and give them a great environment to work in so that they're happy and they're able to feel like they're making progress personally and as in, in their projects. Right. And it's like, but it's, let's be clear. It's number three. It's not number one. Now that I've worked at a larger tech company, it's very clear to me that many people feel like the number one priority should be to have a great workplace where employees are happy, at, sometimes at the cost of the other priorities. Like they complain about stuff? 
Yeah, they complain about stuff, but it's more like it's not the the complaint is very valid. It's the underlying angst of the complaint where it's like, oh, you're very upset that this hasn't been resolved because you think this should be resolved as the top priority. This should be like resolving this should be the top priority and whatever trade-offs are necessary, we ne- we make so that employees are happy and the workplace is happy. And it's like, well, sometimes we're going to do things that makes the workplace less happy or makes employees less happy temporarily because it's in service of this, you know, company objective that we have. Uh, yeah. And I don't use the word happy with our team. I, 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 I like to use the word fulfilled, which is like, I, I definitely like my logic is, or what I tell people and what I believe is I want to work on cool stuff that wins and succeeds. And I don't want to do it with cool and interesting people. Right. Um, it doesn't mean I'm because I'm not happy all the time. I, I hate what I have to do every once in a while, but I also hate like working out sometimes, but it's like, I like looking good naked. So it's like, <laughs> that's the challenge that you, that's, that's the trade off you make. Right. Um, uh, which is like, you want to make $700,000 a year and provide for your family. That's great. We're going to do that. That doesn't mean you're going to enjoy every second of it. Right. And so to me, it's not happy. It's a little bit more about fulfillment. And in other industries, that trade is very well known and, and understood by all parties. In consulting, in investment banking, this trade is understood. We know what's going on. All right, I'm going to be highly paid. Cool. I'm going to have to work my ass off. Okay. You're going to kind of treat me like a, you know, a replaceable part. And I have to, I have to sort of hustle to, to stay cream of the crop. Yeah. Like I don't expect anything more than that. Um, whereas I think in tech companies, there's so much abundance that that has changed. But I don't know. I should stop speaking now because we're gonna, both going to get canceled um, like real quick. You know, in fact, Dave Portnoy, I think, had a pretty interesting thing happen where somebody came out and was like, the sketch you guys did a couple years ago was like racist. Well, he did. And, I think he also said the N-word. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't actually watch it. I don't know what it was. But there was a, it, it, like, admittedly, it was not, like, not in good taste. And so he comes out and he's, he does this video where he's like, you know, to all the haters who are trying to go through five-year-old footage and find stuff that we did wrong and try to cancel us, it's not going to work, baby. They've been trying to cancel me for 20 years. It's not going to work. That was a joke. It, back then, that was, that was kosher. Like now, that wouldn't be kosher, but we didn't do it now. We did it back then. And for you to be – he was basically like, you're a loser for trying to go dig this up. Like, uh, you can't I'm, – I'm the Teflon Don. You can't cancel me. And then, like, two days later, he comes back and he's just like, I'm sorry. You know, I said that I was trying to address the haters and I was unapologetic to the haters, but I realized to my own employees that was very callous and to, you know, my black employees who felt uncomfortable and felt like I didn't own up and apologize to it. I'm sorry. And so I thought that was a pretty interesting one where he sort of broke character in a way and again, had to service. I don't think he broke character. I think that what he meant was he goes, I agree. It was a dumb joke. And I, 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 yeah, that it was really stupid of me. But also, fuck the cancel people. Uh, yeah, like, I, I guess maybe maybe he stayed in it. But you know, I, I was surprised to see that, and I think that that's the that's the wave. That's the way things are going, and I, I think overall for the better. I think it's holding more people accountable to not do fucked up stuff. But sometimes I do feel like it goes too far, and people have to sort of censor, watch themselves, apologize for twenty year old things quite a bit. And, I, and I'm not sure that that's right either. Yeah. It is a confusing time. I think that your intent matters a lot, though. We're talking about this cancel shit, so we might as well just wrap it up with this. Right. On Friday, okay, so there's a background, which is a lot of tech people, which, uh, whatever, a lot of tech people, particularly Silicon Valley, San Francisco tech people, are really mad at media companies, uh, including New York Times, for being like anti-business, anti-tech. And it's been brewing. They're also angry because this one in D.C. named biology is that the same yep um tweeted in december about how corona was gonna be a huge thing and people at vox laughed at him kind of laughed at him um and said like these rich vcs are now wearing masks and not meeting with chinese people and are scared of this weird virus aren't they crazy turns out corona was real so there's this animosity well on thursday the ceo of away travel away the suitcase company did a Instagram thing where she explained how she thinks that tech media people are biased and love to create outrage in order to get more clicks. And a journalist named Taylor at the New York Times said this, tweeted out something like, the delusional CEO of Away is tweeting about how bad the journalists are. She sounds incoherent and she's 
being crazy. Something She said something like that. A very prominent venture capitalist tweeted out the exact same thing right back to her, but replaced the name Away Travel CEO with Taylor, the journalist from New York Times. Right. He, he kind of mocked her, basically saying she had said like talking about something that she doesn't she doesn't even know she doesn't even know about right when when the way CEO was talking about journalism she's like look at her rambling and, and being incoherent about something that she's she really doesn't know the first thing about and then he said the same thing about her where because she talks about tech all the time and he was basically saying she doesn't know it so she comes out and she's like yeah, go ahead. she's just like you know what is this why do i keep getting attacked um she first she quotes only half of it so she doesn't show that he was mocking what she said he was repeating the same words that she said about someone else he was saying about her she just took it out of context and made it look like he was just saying it about her out of the blue which wasn't true uh, but she's like look at this i'm getting attacked for no reason this guy won't stop and then she tweets ben horowitz which is like his former boss uh, at andreessen horowitz and she's like can you please help here and she kind of like played the like victim in that that moment and she, i think she felt like the victim of like being bullied essentially then it escalated into this like weird thing on Clubhouse. Which I listened to it. I was I there. I wasn't there. So what happened? So there's a stupid app. It's not stupid, but it's kind of a circle jerk called Clubhouse where roughly 1,500 people are invited. And most of them are like elite, elitist people type people. I guess you could throw me in that category, even though I don't want to be that. I mean, but maybe some people think I am. I, I was there and Taylor and this biology guy a little bit got into it. She said something like, I don't feel safe here. And he goes, oh, you don't feel safe when a brown guy comes in? You're racist. And because uh, biology is some type Ridiculous. of brown Indian yeah. or something. I don't know what he is, but he's not a white guy or he doesn't look like a white guy. So now that made it even worse. So it was wild. I think so th my so they're going back and forth. People are picking sides. Half the people are like, this guy's a jerk and an asshole. And I'm sorry you had to deal with this, Taylor. And then the other half of the Twitter replies are, Dude, she gets what's coming to her and she's trying to play the victim and she's the one who's been on the attack the whole time um, and now she's trying to play the victim. My and opinion then, is both are true. Both are true. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Both are true. And then he went further. I don't know if you saw this part where he put out a $1,000 bounty, uh, Bitcoin bounty, and he said, I'll give $1,000 to the best meme of the situation and I'll give $1,000 to the best legal breakdown of was it because uh, because people recorded uh, without consent the clubhouse conversation posted leaked it online she then referenced it and wrote about it and asked people to write about it and so he was like thousand dollars for the legal breakdown of can you it was this wiretapping can you actually record these private conversations and and use them you know, for your, your journalistic purposes or not and then she was like oh my god that's ridiculous and the whole situation is kind of ridiculous so where do you fall on this so and then I'll add one more thing. I got into the mix a little bit of it when Vice wrote an article and there, because the whole premise of this is biology says people, including the New York Times, media companies purposely like outrage because it drives revenues and it drives clicks. True. And that is one premise of the argument about, of him against her. And a Vice guy wrote about this saying, the idea that clicks drives revenue is a fallacy. And I was, and I got into the mix. I'm like, I'm like, that's, that's not true, guys. Like, I'm not saying that, like, who's wrong or who's right, except for that person who said that. You are wrong. Clicks do, <laughs> clicks do drive revenue. It doesn't matter if I, I'm not going to say who's wrong or right, except for you. That's wrong. Yeah, I mean, that's just, like, that's just factually incorrect. Right. I mean, that's just, like, you're, you're, you're just... You're just so wrong. I mean, you're, you're vice. You guys made $400 million last year off advertising revenue. And you have someone on, on your team whose sole job it is to see which gets the most clicks and tell you to do more of that. I mean, you're just wrong. And also outrage drives more subscriber revenue as well. So it doesn't matter what your business model is. So just let's not say that because you're, 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 you're full of shit. But um, whose side am I on? So I think that they're both assholes. And I think that they're actually in the same group of people, which is like highly educated, very elite coastal people who like to smell their own farts and don't give a fuck about middle America and like are totally in their own bubble. I think they're both fucking wrong and they're both right. I think that <laughs> the New York times and people like that definitely is, are very anti business and very anti capitalism, even though that they're, a, they are in fact a tech company. They are owned partially by a billionaire named Carlos Slim. Like they are what they claim to hate. So I think they're hypocritical and full of shit. I also think that biology, it, like he's also like, just egging her on like she's definitely not racist i don't think this woman's racist right and to call her that is like stupid so i think that's dumb as well right yeah he's definitely uh i don't know what gaslighting means but i think he's doing it 
and he's definitely bullying her and he's getting the internet to bully her um yeah. and you know he he can feel justified in doing it but he's definitely bullying her and he just you know that that's that what do they say in the big lebowski they go you're not wrong you're just an asshole and that's how <laughs> i feel about about I, it it's like dude you're, you're definitely not wrong but you are an asshole yeah and the other thing that he, he kind of argued for which was that He's like, look, these are, this is called, he keeps calling it corporate journalism because he's like, they make money based off of uh, people reading their articles. They're trying to right. for-profit for profit company. They're trying to pretend they're this unbiased, you know, citizen journalism. Uh, you know, they're, they're trying to pretend that there's voice for the citizens and justice and they're not, they're corporate journalism. That's true. But he sort of says it in a way where it's like, there's no place for that. Like, he's like, no, what we need is independent, uh, what he calls personal media companies or something like that, PMCs. Um, and we need personal media companies that will do, that will, you know, report, you know, the, that will report things that are less biased, less attacking, less whatever. Well, um, I, in reality, he, it's going to be the same thing. And anybody who's a media, it is company, the same thing, but, whether you're personal or a company, you're going to be trying to get attention and you're going to be trying to monetize it. And then you're going to do what, what does both those things. Yeah. And what pisses me off, I think, is that people say like, it is corporate journalism, this and that. I'm like, yeah, it is. I don't think that's wrong though, because at the end of the day, they forget that a company is just made up of people organized of certain thoughts. So whether they're corporate or they're on their own, like it's the same person mm -hmm. and you're going to try and do the same stuff. Right. And that stuff, people act like this is new. This is not new. This, we used to call this Hearst uh, media. They, Randolph Hearst, they say it was one of the, one of the first guys to do it in reality. Again, he's not, he wasn't the first guy to do it either. They used to call it yellow journalism, which was outrage. Um, Rupert Murdoch used to own, um, well, the way that he started in Australia was, this is what he did, was bold headlines that would say outrageous stuff. And it started with the newsboy saying, read all about it, uh, World War II, highest death toll ever, whatever. Right. Like, guys, this is not like something new. This is, I hate when people act like this is like this new thing. It's not new at all. This is human nature. It's like saying like racism is new or something. It's like this will always exist and has always existed. It's just a matter of how we're going to deal with it. Right. Yeah, I uh, totally agree. I think that's 100% accurate. Um, I do find the whole thing entertaining. I, I love it too. This is, this is the point, guys. Look, Sean. It's working again. We're talking working. about it. Yeah. I love it. I had five topics that were like, you know, interesting little business ideas, but Frankly, this is more interesting to me and probably more interesting to some of the listeners. Even if you hate listen, even if you're like, ah, I hate listening about this. Like there's a part of us that craves the gossip and that's why it works. And here's my, my issue with this is, guys, why are we afraid to admit this? Like, why are we, like, you, you, like someone called you clickbait. Someone called her clickbait or um, like she loved outrage. And in my head, I'm like, that's not bad. Like, right. I don't understand. That's not, that doesn't have to be an insult. If I have an e-commerce store, I'm also buy bait. And if I have, a, you know, a sports team, I want to be fan bait. And like, yeah, the goal is to get people to use your product and to engage with you and to become your customers. Right. And, so and I'm like, they seek, seek outrage. I'm like, yeah, I seek outrage all the time. That's why I watch like fucking the challenge on MTV or like right. <laughs> watch YouTube, like watch fights on YouTube or like, that's why I love boxing and UFC. It's like, I love like people fighting. Like whenever I see like a car wreck on the side of the road, I slow down and stare. Like, can we please just like act like this is human nature and this is, doesn't have to be bad. There's a place for it all. Yeah, and, and either side acting like they're above it all, they're both lying, um, which is what's That's why I always say case. they're just, they're two groups of the same people who just like to smell their own farts. Like these guys <laughs> are all, they're, they're all the, the elite of the elite. And like, I listened to that clubhouse. It was a bunch of Andreessen Horowitz, venture capitalists or owners or wives of the owners, like running, running the show. It's like, okay, like you're, I get what you're saying, but like, you're, you're also out of touch. Right. Right. Uh, okay. This is good. Uh, sorry. We didn't do more business stuff. We got, we got carried away, but what you going to do? How about that suburban doorbell? That's like a perfect sign off. That is a suburban doorbell. <laughs> All right. I got to go. Sam, I'll talk to you in a couple of days.